0: Well, Luke chapter nineteen. We're in this text, and uh, a couple weeks ago we looked at the fact that Jesus was entering uh, Jerusalem, and uh, they were giving him praise, acknowledging him as as king. And uh, now he's coming to the temple, and it's not it's not an accident that uh, Jesus is coming. To the Temple, uh, Jesus is very conscious of what the Old Testament says about his entrance into Jerusalem, and uh, he wants to fulfill the prophetic promises that we find in Malachi chapter three, and uh, you have chapter three, verse one in the text, and uh, so when Jesus was entering Jerusalem as king. Not only was he entering Jerusalem as king, but he was entering the temple as king. And uh, Jesus does some uh, very interesting things that we're going to look at this morning. But let's begin with uh, verse 45 in chapter 19. And Jesus entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of, of the people were seeking to destroy him. But they ne- did not find anything that they could could do for all the people were hanging on his words. Chapter 20 now, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us, by what authority do you do these things? Or who it is that gave you this authority? And we'll end there uh, this morning. This is the only uh, recorded act of violence by Jesus. And uh, Luke doesn't tell us everything that uh, Jesus did when he was house cleaning, when he was turning the temple upside down. In another gospel account, it talks about Jesus uh, having used a whip. In this account here, it says that he he turned over or... um, uh, he. Verse 45, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold. In another uh, gospel account, the Bible says that he turned over tables. Now think about that for a second. I mean, if Jesus went into the temple and turned over, I thought about bringing in a table this morning in this service and violently turning it over. I mean, that would have captured our attention. If we had the children here, if they weren't in children's church, they may have become very scared and start crying. But uh, Jesus, there's this um, righteous indignation that Jesus uh, sees happening uh, of what's occurring in the temple, and he comes very upset. Scripture says that he yelled, and he drove out the money changers and the sellers, What is Jesus doing here? Why? I want to talk about, answer two questions this morning. First question is, is what is the temple? What is the purpose of the temple? And the second question is, what is the meaning of the cleansing of the temple that we see in this passage of scripture this morning? First question, what does the temple mean? You know, as we think of a temple in the Old Testament and uh, through the life of Christ, we might associate that temple, which is no longer there, we might associate that temple with uh, cathedrals around the world that have been built unto the glory of God. But when you think of cathedrals today, they serve no different purpose than uh, storefront churches that we see uh, all around our country today. The different, there is no difference between a cathedral and let's say the building that we're meeting in this morning. But when it came to the temple in Scripture... It was very, very different because two things happened at this temple. One, it was the place that you met God, that you had the opportunity to meet God face to face. Now, you might be thinking, well, isn't God everywhere? Yeah, God is everywhere. And we learn that uh, in scripture as well. But um, but Jesus's glory, the, the glory of God, the presence of God, and and uh, this was very important as as we read the Old Testament and the tabernacle and eventually the temple. Uh, Jesus, God was speaking in anthropomorphic terms. He wanted the the temple or the tabernacle to be the relational gate into the presence of God. That's where you went to meet with God. Now, yes, God's presence is everywhere. If you would have gone to uh, the city of Chicago 15 years ago, you would have sensed the presence of Michael Jordan all over that city. You would have, had a, you would have gotten a sense of who Michael Jordan was. Because his his face was everywhere, his jersey was everywhere, people were wearing his jersey. But you really couldn't get to know Michael Jordan unless you knew his address. And you went and showed up personally to his home. Do you know Michael Jordan? It's been 15 years since he retired from the Chicago Bulls. Feeling old this morning. You know, I would bring it up today to date uh, to LeBron James. LeBron James is back in Cleveland, Ohio. If you go to Le- Cleveland, Ohio today, you can sense the presence of Le- LeBron James. But if you really wanted to get to know who Le- LeBron James is, you would need to go to his address. Well, the temple was, was that And when it came to the temple, uh, people were expected, the Jews were expected to make an annual pilgrimage to Jerusalem and to the temple. No matter where you lived in the world, you were expected to go back to Jerusalem and meet with God. Because this, this is where his royal presence, his Shekinah glory, uh, resides. This is the royal, central, sacramental presence of God. And this is what Jesus understood. This is what God understood. This is what God expected. That people would come to Jerusalem to meet with God. But not only would they meet with God, but it would be a place of sacrifice. Um. A sacrifice had to be made. You couldn't come into the presence of God any old way. You couldn't just casually come in to the temple. No, it required a sacrifice. And this is what we understand about biblical religion in the Bible. You see, biblical religion was different from Eastern religion or Western religion. When it came to Eastern religion, they, they did not believe in a personal God. They believed that uh, uh, God was uh, infinite, that God was transcendent and he was mystical, but he wasn't personal. That was the Eastern religion. And then there was Western religion. Western religion uh, would teach that um, gods, the gods, there's many gods, and they're personal. But they have a hard time relating to one another occasionally. And they were gods who had faults. But these were gods who could be up close and personal. And there was a god for everything when it came to Western religion. But here's, here's Israel. Here's Jerusalem, and it is the bridge between Eastern religion and Western religion. And what the Bible is saying is that God is both uh, personal, he's intimate, he's someone you can know, but he's also infinite, he's transcendent, he is holy. He is one, and this is the God that we need to get to know. And so here's the temple. And when people are coming to the temple, yes, this is the place to meet a personal God. But as you approach this God, this God is holy and righteous and just and requires a sacrifice. And so here we see in this passage of scripture, well, you might be thinking to yourself first, why, why, is, why is God so strict when it comes to sacrifice? Is he a cranky God? Why must we appease him with a sacrifice? I want you to think about this. Suppose that uh, you adopted a daughter. Okay, as parents, you adopt this daughter And uh, you just pour your life into this little girl. You see her grow up. You give her everything she needs. You love her with your whole being. Well, it's come to a point where she's ready to go off to college. And uh, before she leaves for college, you give her your entire inheritance. I mean, you send her off, and she has all all the resources that she needs to be successful in school. And she goes to school and you find out she doesn't go to class. She goes off and does her own thing. And in fact, you don't hear from her for an entire year. And then one day, lo and behold, she shows up back at your house and she pretends like everything's okay, that she hasn't done anything to offend you, that life is normal, and here you are as the parent, and you're thinking to yourself, wait a minute, there is a breach in our relationship that we need to deal with. Well, that's similar to what it's like for us as believers, as followers of God, and people in the Old Testament. God has richly blessed us with all these heavenly blessings. He's given us talents. He's given us treasures. He's given us time. But oftentimes, we think selfishly. And we don't think in terms of, you know, stewards and what I, what do I need to be doing as being obedient to our Father. And in the Old Testament, as people would come back to Jerusalem, yeah, they wanted to meet with God face-to-face. But they needed to deal with the breach, the sinfulness between, in, in their lives um, in front of a holy God, and it required a sacrifice. But there was an issue about this temple and about the sacrifices and meeting with God face to face. Both were partial, the sacrifice was never um, fully complete, and you had to repeat it annually, and when it came to meeting with God face to face, you really didn't get up close and personal with him, because there was always a veil, and there was a priest that represented you that went into the presence of God. And so there was just this partial fulfillment. It was incomplete. But then Jesus shows up in chapter 19. And Jesus sees what's going on around, around him in the temple. He gets a- angry and he starts acting like he owns the place. And in his righteous anger, in turning the tables upside down, in driving out the sellers and the money changers, he's really saying a couple things. And so that's the second question I want to answer this morning. We've looked at the purpose of the temple. Now, what does the cleansing of the temple mean? Number one, Jesus wants spiritual reality when it comes to people coming to the house of God he looks around and there is not spiritual reality taking place it looks like Disneyland on a crowded day have you ever been to Disneyland on a crowded day it's not a whole lot of fun and I really want to recommend to you, if you're going to Disneyland on a crowded day, wait for your wife to break her foot, and when she's in a wheelchair, everybody will get out of your way so that you can get to the head of the line. That happened once. That was great. <laughs> but here Jesus is in the temple, and it is, it's is—it's a zoo, Literally they're selling animals for the sacrifices. The sellers are selling sacrifices to the to the people who have come from everywhere and it 's a matter of convenience at that point because you, when you 're coming from great distances it 's hard to bring the sacrifice with you and so sellers are there they 're selling animal sacrifices to to uh, the people who need to make a sacrifice. There's money changers, uh, and money changers are uh, ripping the people off because uh, they're exchanging the currency, and they're charging an exorbitant rate. Jesus is seeing this commotion going on inside the temple courts, and he knows these people aren't meeting with God. They're just fulfilling a spiritual obligation. They just want to get in and get out as quickly as possible. And Jesus is conveying in this temple cleansing that I want my house to be a place of spiritual reality. People are to come here to truly make a connection with a holy God. So that's the first thing that we see in this passage of scripture. And and my question to you this morning, when you come to church, are you just kind of going through the motions? And your attitude is to get in and get out as quickly as possible. Jesus says that. And he says, yuck. That's not not what coming to church is about. It's about worshiping him. And I had to remind myself of that this morning. You know, I come to church and we're getting ready for the service and things of this nature. And I'm going... I feel like I'm a 100-yard dash, thinking of all the things I've got to do, the, the questions that I'm answering. And I'm thinking to myself this morning, breathe, Bill, breathe. Why am I here? I am here to help us and for me to make a spiritual connection with Jesus, even in my busyness. I was listening to a webinar, not this week, but the week before last, and they were interviewing worship leaders of mega churches and uh, them preparing themselves to lead the people in worship. And And the interviewer was asking, how do you do that? And one gal talked about the fact that even in rehearsal time and all the details that you're thinking through for sound checks and and rhythms and getting everything right, even in all the details, I still have to see myself in a posture of worship. That would be helpful for you who are teaching Sunday school classes or working in the nursery during the preaching hour once, once every eight weeks or whenever you do that. Oftentimes we come to church and it's rather cluttered. It's like a Disneyland out atmosphere without the fun. And we need to have that spiritual posture of worship. Jesus, I'm doing this unto you. All that we do, church, is to be done unto the Lord. That wasn't happening in the temple in this passage of scripture. And Jesus cleaned house. Not only did he want people to make a spiritual connection, there to be a spiritual reality in coming to the house of the Lord, But Jesus was declaring, number two, his authority over the temple. What does he say? My house shall be a house of prayer. If there was any place in the New Testament where Jesus was claiming to be God, it's right here in this passage of Scripture. My house shall be called, shall be a house of prayer of prayer. And these people were f- far from making a personal connection with him. So the question I have for you this morning as a temple of God because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. Is your life like this temple? Just full of activity but no connection? What does Jesus need to clean house concerning your temple? Is our church like this temple? Lots of commotion. Lots of spiritual activity, but no connection with God. What, what does Jesus need to clean house in regard to our church service coming together as God's people? So Jesus wants spiritual connection. He's declaring his authority over the, his temple. And number three, as Jesus uh, cleanses the temple, Jesus is really conveying to us that he is the temple. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 12, verse 6, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Two weeks ago, we looked at the fact as Jesus was weeping over Jerusalem, he prophesied that the temple would be destroyed. And the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. But something greater than the temple is here. And he's Jesus. We learn from, from the New Testament that uh, the glory of God is upon Jesus. Where did the glory of God reside before Jesus came on the scene? In the temple, in the Holy of Holies. That was where his Shekinah glory lived. But when Jesus comes, John says, all glory belongs to him. Jesus is the glory of God, and we are to worship him. It's all about Jesus. It's no longer about a place. In John chapter 4, Jesus had a conversation with a gal who um, thought for as Samaritans, their worship of God was on their mountain. And for the Jews, their worship of God, meaning God was at the temple in Jerusalem. But Jesus says there's going to be a day where it's not going to be about a place. You can worship God Anywhere you are, but it's always going to be the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the complete and final and perfect sacrifice. He drove out the sellers. He drove out all the animals. They didn't belong in the temple. But in essence, he's saying there's going to be a day when these sacrifices are not necessary anymore. There is not going to have to be an annual repeat of the sacrifices. Jesus is going to be the final, perfect, and complete sacrifice. He is our sacrifice. The veil was torn in two. Um, Jesus is our great high priest. We could go on about those things. What I want to conclude with, and then I want to go into a time of prayer, is this. It was Palm Sunday. It was the Sunday before Christ was crucified. And he rode into Jerusalem. He declared himself as king. He cleansed the temple. My question to you, friend, is have you had your own personal Palm Sunday. Has there come a ploy, place in your life where you've cried out, Hosanna, God save. Hosanna, God, I'm tired of trying to live this life myself. Hosanna, Jesus, you come save me. You are the king. I declare you king of my life. And as he comes into your life, you allow him to clean house, to move the furniture around, to get rid of the clutter. How do you know if Jesus How how do you know if you've had your own personal Palm Sunday? Because you've allowed the king to rearrange the furniture of your life. You're no longer owner. He's owner. Jesus declares, my house shall be a house of prayer. That goes for each of us personally as temples of the Holy Spirit. And that goes for us collectively as God's people. And so for the remainder of this service, I want to take the time for our time together to be a house of prayer. We spend some time in worship and we spend some time praying about some things we Uh, There's some deacons that we need to pray over that we missed in the month of August. I want to take the time to pray for those new deacons. I want to pray for our youth. And uh, see you at the poll is coming up this week, a very important event in all the schools. We need to pray for our young people. Uh, We need to pray for our life group ministry and what God wants to do through us. Relationally, as we study the word together and we come together to fellowship, we need to bathe these things in prayer.